Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast exists because of the paid members at DecodingTV.com. Become a paid member and get ad-free episodes and early access to episodes. Thanks to everyone at DecodingTV.com who makes this podcast possible. I love these moments. See a man in a dress come through here, haircut like the Three Stooges? When the violence comes, it comes fast. And it's over. You can never really be sure. Did I draw first? Did he? Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Streaming, a Decoding TV podcast. I am David Chen, and I started a line of business, and I'm secretly paying everyone around Jesse to make her life a living hell. Joining me today is Jesse Earl. Well, I was just going to say that I really hope my debt to you is fully paid, or at least hopefully you can forgive it, <laughs> but I guess not. Indeed. Well, welcome to This Week in Streaming. Uh, now, uh, if you're listening to this podcast uh, and you're refreshing that feed every day, you might have seen we just launched a new weekly format where every week we're going to talk about stuff that's going on in the industry, as well as recap some of the things we've been talking about um, that is going to continue. That's going to be the primary way that this podcast is released each week. Uh, but we do still have some commitments. As I said on another podcast this week, a Chenister always pays his debts. Uh, we had committed to review at the end of Fargo season five. So we are here to do that. Uh, also, we also committed weeks ago to review the crown final few episodes that has not happened yet, but hopefully will in the near future. Uh, but yes, please do tune into our weekly format. Uh, with me, Patrick Klepek, as well as hopefully uh, other cool guests in the future. But yeah, uh, we're doing this week in streaming on occasion for a show like Fargo, and especially when we've already committed to doing a show like Fargo for this week in streaming. So, um, Jesse Earl, I, I do also want to say that uh, typically we are extremely organized. We have like a full <laughs> recap and uh, you know organized notes about what we're going to talk about. Uh, and this episode is going to be a little bit looser because we weren't actually planning to record it for another few days. Uh, but then my flight to Sundance got canceled. And so I ended up having a little pocket of time today. And so now we are here recording. I, I just got Jesse. I, I contacted Jesse. I said, Hey, I can record today right before <laughs> I fly to Park City. Uh, and she said, well, uh, I, I didn't even watch it last night. I can watch it this morning. And then we, we barely <laughs> got it under the wire. So uh, if it sounds a little bit more loose or we're like we're reaching for some details more so than we usually would, uh, that is why. But I'm so grateful that Jesse's here for us to talk about the final episodes of Fargo Season 5. You can find more episodes of the show at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the podcast of Fargo and all the stuff that's going on. Find us across all platforms at Decoding TV. All right. Jesse Earl, let's start by talking about our overall thoughts on how Fargo Season 5 wrapped up, and specifically the finale. Do you think this season of television stuck the landing, and would you recommend it? 
I think for the most part, this season stuck the landing. I think the lead up into the finale was really excellent. I think there's a couple big swing episodes and one in particular that I think is a real uh, like, like stretch in terms of what it's going for. And I think it really, really hits it and has some very strong messages around um, how women are treated abuse and power and abuse of power and patriarchy and all of that stuff that the first half of the season was setting up. And I think it hits it off pretty well. And then we get to the finale. And like I said, I just watched it a little while ago. So I haven't fully, fully like sat with it for a long time, like I normally would for these podcasts. But my initial feeling coming out of it is that I think it was a very strong finale. And I think the final few moments of it are excellent. But I think there's a few beats here and there that uh, either rub me the wrong way in terms of what it's saying with its overall themes, um, as well as sometimes I think running counter to a couple of its ideas. But uh, on the whole, I think there's this whole second half of the season has like really clever moments, really clever beats, some big swings, and I think a overall really great message that falters in some places as it's like getting into the final stretch. I think I pretty much agree 100% with everything you said. Uh, overall, I thought the season was excellent. One of the best things I've watched on TV in the last year, I would say. like Just a mm-hmm. really solid season of television. Very memorable. Great themes. Great sequences. Um, you're watching a show that, in my opinion, is firing on all cylinders. I had a great time watching it. I had a great time talking with you about it on our last This Week in Streaming. Uh, so, yeah. That said... I think the word I'd use for the finale is uneven. Uh, And it was, I will say it was made further uneven for me by the fact that I watched the finale live. All the other episodes I I watched on Hulu and I watched the finale live and there was an ad like every seven minutes. And so an ad break every seven minutes. And that really disrupted the flow of the episode. I'm like, I don't know how people do this watching with ads anymore Um, (laughs) because it felt like it, prevented the show from getting any momentum you know for me uh and yeah i I did watch this on hulu too and i noticed that too i was like oh this scene seems to have a cut to black that's a clear ad break a little bit sooner than i expect right even i noticed it watching it on hulu Uh, it didn't bump me as much but i definitely felt it to a degree yeah there were a lot uh there were a lot of ad breaks like right as the show was picking up steam i'd be like "Ooh, i'm getting into it and then ad break and it's like oh that really now I'm hearing about, you know, herpes medicine instead of uh, <laughs> immersing myself in the world of Scandia, uh, North Dakota. So anyway, uh, and I agree with you that the very end of this season was uh, truly masterful, beautiful, one of the great final moments of any season of television. If they ended the show here, it would be like a really wonderful ending. Um, so overall, love the season. Uh, some great swings, as you said, throughout the second half of the season. And the finale was pretty good, pretty solid, a little bit weird in some places and ways we'll talk about. Uh, but the, 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 the way it actually all wrapped up was, was very satisfying, I thought. So, yeah, I think, I think we both really liked this season of television quite a bit. All right, Jesse Earl, uh, before we get to the finale, I guess we should talk about, like, are there any moments leading up to the finale you want to highlight and i think you know i I will start the conversation off like this i think we have talked on this podcast before about how i david chen tend to not like episodes that are dream sequences (laughs) um because i'm already watching a fictionalized construct of something if you the creator of the show want to communicate something to me just use the construct we're already we already know that it's all fake like 
just give it to me, give me the story and the message in that way. Uh, and so I usually hate dream sequences. Mm-hmm. And this show made a dream sequence or dreamlike sequence that I did not hate. I was like, oh, wow, that's actually really interesting the way they did that, right? Uh, and I think yeah. this would be... Um, I think it was episode 8 Episode 8. Episode 8. Uh, no, 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 no. Episode uh, 7. Yes, 7 and Camp Utopia. The episode is called Linda. Uh, but Dot has this kind of extended dream sequence uh, while she is asleep at a roadside diner, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you wanted to highlight this, Jesse. What were your thoughts on Linda and what happens in that episode? I love this, especially how it comes back in the last two episodes, because the whole episode is Dot going to this like weird kind of the survivor camp for women where everyone's named Linda and they're named after this woman, Linda, who we, we kind of get the backstory of dot and where, why her relationship is to John Hamm's character and everything in this episode. And we learn that the Linda who runs this camp is uh, essentially uh, John Hamm's wife who kind of set her up to be abused by him after they had taken her in um, dot in And then when Linda sort of escaped, she didn't take Dot with her and Dot sort of having this anger at her for being like, you left me with this man who then continued to abuse me and use me and all uh, and and put her in the situation of being made into his wife and being an object for him. Um, And the episode is her kind of working through and processing really beautifully, like how this anger that she has towards Linda is, is in a degree misplaced but understandable of like how linda was dealing with all of this and 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 was dealing with this abuse uh was just trying her best in a really crappy situation and and really wrestling what it's like to be women in abusive situations and with abusive uh guys in domestic violence towards children adults and then when it's revealed to be a dream sequence that she was just having and you realize that it was her processing that anger uh, towards Linda. Um, And then also like the other women also being named, all they all took on the name Linda in her dream, which sort of showcases like this idea that like all women kind of uh, who suffer domestic violence kind of have a similar deal with similar issues and stories and and how she would fit into that same narrative as well. Um, It was just, it was a really, really beautiful way of just showcasing how women who are victims of domestic violence process um, that survivor's guilt, that anger, like it, it, all the different parties involved. And then when it comes back in the finale where we learn that Linda actually didn't survive and that she did, she was killed um, by John Hamm. Um, I'm blanking on his name, character name again, but I usually have names in front of me. But um, Roy, uh, Sheriff to, Roy Tillman, right? Is Sheriff Roy, yeah, thank yeah. you. Um, I'm always bad with names. But uh, when we learn that and then she has this last moment where she says, oh, I, I, she didn't actually escape. She was just something that I thought of in like a, a beautiful dream. Um, it, it just kind of encapsulates this whole idea of like how domestic violence survivors like process stuff and, and how all women can't necessarily escape that. Um, some, some women do die and, and don't, don't get to escape the abuse that they're under. It was just, it was, I think it really captured it really well. And I think the use of the dream sequence, like showcase that as just part of the process of healing and dealing with it that I think was, um, really great. The dream sequence is also extremely elaborate, uh, very detailed, and the characters all had this way of describing their past traumas where they needed to pick a doll uh, or make a puppet 
oftentimes in a process that would take weeks or months, uh, mm-hmm. and then play act out what happened to them. Uh, and I just thought that was a really interesting way of conveying this character's backstory without the use of flashback, right? You know, in a typical scenario, we might have a flashback where, and then it's like, when you make a flashback, how do you make it? Do you use a warm filter? Do you use like a pro mist filter that makes everything look fuzzy and bright? Like, what do you do? Uh, and they just got around all that by saying, hey, let's make it hyper stylized and tell it from Dot's perspective. Um, I thought that was uh, just just an interesting decision as well. So I, I thought it was really just an impressive sequence. And then it's, of course, concluded by Dot getting hit by a truck, you know, like, yeah, which is, that plows yeah, into or a, a truck hits a car that then hits Dot, which is like an incredible way to end that sequence. And it, it wasn't clear to me if... John Hamm's character had engineered that in some way, or if he just was able to locate her after she was at the hospital. I don't. I don't think he engineered it. That seems pretty elaborate, but I don't know what your interpretation of that was. Yeah, um, I wasn't sure. I thought um, Roy's son uh, did that. I think there's some reference mm, to that, but I don't remember. Mm, very, it was, very it, it possible. Very yeah. Clear. yeah. Yeah. What I will also say too, just jumping off of your like the stylization too with the puppets, is it 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 also make sure the show doesn't sensationalize the abuse. Cause oftentimes when shows are dealing with abuse and they depict it, um, it has a, it has a tendency, even if unintentionally to sensationalize it or glorify it or like, uh, be traumatizing to watch even in some ways right, people. Right, yeah. And by having it this way, it allows dot to take ownership of it and also not sensationalize it, uh, through, through like actually physically depicting it. Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think of any other kind of moments along the way that are are worth highlighting. Um, Danish Graves, you know, there, there's this kind of interesting moment where Danish Graves, Dave Foley's character, uh, he kind of decides to go and try to rescue Dot on his own. And I think it's supposed to be this character moment for him, but I never, I didn't fully, his death is certainly tragic. And, and also the whole plot where he has three dudes change their name to Roy's name is incredible. Like just, I love ingenious, that. I was going to call that out. <laughs> just an ingenious uh, plot line. And then, uh, and then he goes to try to rescue Dot at the end. And I, I, I guess, I think what the show is trying to do at the end is kind of like making you feel like these characters uh, specifically Dave Foley's character, specifically Jennifer Jason Leigh's character, have become better people along the way, right? The Danish is like, hey, I'm going to try to save this woman even if it endangers me. And of course, Jennifer Jason Leigh finally seeing Dot as a daughter. Um, I certainly bought it more for Jennifer Jason Leigh's character than for Danish Graves' character. Like, what, what did you think of how that character's plotline resolved? I actually, so Jennifer Jason Lee's character, I actually have more conflicted thoughts, but I'll talk about that when we get to the finale, because I actually think her storyline, to a degree, rubs me wrong compared to the rest of the episode's themes. But with Graves' character, I actually did like how he dies, because my read on it was him trying to be, like, the dude savior who thinks he can, like, come in right, and, yeah. and, like, be the be the rescuer for her and, like, save the woman, save the day, even though he's not even the person with the power in the situation. Like, the women can ultimately save themselves in the show, um, which I really do like as a theme. Um, but, uh, but he's sort of like, yeah, I can do this. I'm smart enough. And then he ultimately just gets casually murdered because he just thinks he's protected by his power, privilege, and place, um, and he's not all that. Uh, so that was my kind of read on it. Uh, I think... I think it would have worked a little bit better if we had gotten more of his character a little bit because he's he's very much just an agent of Jennifer Jason Lee throughout most of the season and we don't really get a lot of his 
perspective or views on things. So it doesn't, right. it doesn't hit as hard when he dies. Um, but I still got what the show is going for and it does land, if not as strong as it could have. Yeah. Uh, and I think like part of the reason it lands is just the viciousness, you know, the way in which he's murdered by John Hamm's character. Uh, I mean, I do think the show does a good job of making it so that the, the recklessness with which John Hamm's character murders people rises as you get towards the end of the show like he's always murdered people like he's never been a good person but like it seems like he's taking bigger and bigger risks murdering danish graves murdering his father-in-law like just like really going out there and i i did um i did appreciate how things were felt like they were really spinning out of control for that character um anything else before we get to the final episode i'm trying to think if there's any other major things to mention um but yeah i I think those are some of the bigger plot lines the the dream episode um the uh uh the danish graves debate heist as it were oh yeah i'm sorry go ahead yeah well, I should say, I meant to actually pop on that with the Graves sequence. I, I did love the, you mentioned the politician storyline, and I did love that because, again, it kind of goes to this, like, oh, the, the the fact that there's not really choices in a lot of uh, elections is just you're voting for different shades of the same thing, mm. um, which I thought was a very clever way to bring that into the show. Um, and, and sort of, it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of, like, the Republican uh, primary that we yeah. have been having going on lately. It's just like different shades of awful <laughs> and, and none of them are, <laughs> none of them are good. They're all just terrible. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that was a, was a, an interesting bit. Yeah. And, and it, it uh, is seated wonderfully in the opening scene too, where he goes to the, the registrar or whatever it is to like change everyone's names to the same thing. It just, uh, just a really, really well done plot executed wonderfully. Uh, and you really get a sense of, um, tit for tat cat and mouse kind of like these two larger than life figures battling it out and i really like in an escalating game against each other that in a way that i really appreciated so uh so yeah um what else to mention uh before the end oh yeah it is worth mentioning gator storyline which does come to a really satisfying conclusion in the final episode mm-hmm. um but gator there, there's something extremely tragic about that character right and how um how he is not murdered, but he is just maimed, right? And and forced to live in shame for the rest of his life. Uh, when you and I recorded the first half of this and we predicted the ending for these characters, uh, I don't think either of us predicted that one of the characters would be maimed horribly and and forced to like live in the shadow of their father for the rest of their lives. Um, but uh, yeah... There, there's something really tragic because there's something almost – I don't feel bad for the character at all, but it's just like there's something almost um, – there's an inevitability to it. Like he was Shakespearean almost. Like he was fated. Greek tragedy. Like he was fated to do this because he couldn't let it go, right? Um, he He was instructed to give Monk – the cash and just pay him off because John Hamm's character very rightfully thought to themselves like thought to himself hey we need fewer variables in the situation just give him the money and then we don't need to deal with that character anymore and he couldn't let it go he he went back to get the money back and wanted to show him who's boss and who's the man um against his father's wishes 
and suffered horribly because of it, you know, paid like a really horrible price for it. Um, so I, I just thought that was like a very satisfying, thematically rich, satisfying sort of ending for that character. I, I loved it too because it reminds me, and it kind of goes to like the whole show's themes of debt and cycles of violence, of how he is a victim of abuse too, as we learned of Roy Tillman, um, who verbally abuses him and abuses him in other ways too, um, as we get from Dot's perspective. But he he kind of reminds me of like those like alt right incelly kind of folks who just like are told that they deserve the world, told to be these strong men, um, but feel so ineffectual at dealing with the world or being able to change things because the, the ways that they're offered to solve things is usually through violence or force, and that and not actually changing the systems that cause them to be in this place, like that are abused by people like his father and Roy, who's clearly like a Trump allegory or some authoritarian strongman allegory. Um, and so ultimately just lashes out in whatever ways that he can find to find power. And that just harming, like, like, uh, the mooks, the woman that mook is staying with ultimately getting killed by him and like just hurting marginalized folks. And, and, um, and so he just, he kind of reminds me just of those, like those radicalized young men who feel like they should lash out in violence because their leader tells them to, or else they're seen as not really men, but ultimately are just ineffectual and causing harm that that doesn't really help anybody and even hurts themselves even though we we shouldn't really have we shouldn't really have uh we should we could be able to empathize but it doesn't erase the damage that they do nor the accountability that they should have interesting you know i i think it's more of a a different archetype like uh i think of a kendall roy or Mm. a ziggy from season two of the wire ziggy sabatka you know this kind of character who like has a really charismatic father who has done amazing things theoretically uh and then who's like really desperately trying to live up to that and just you can tell literally never can um well i mean even kendall if we're talking that with i'm sorry i cut you off apologies yeah no no no. uh or uh in in uh uh john ham's own show like he's the uh pete campbell to uh uh john ham's don draper you know um so anyway sorry go ahead uh, no, no, I'm I'm sorry about that. No, but I thought you would finish. And no, I was no jumping in, but so, um, but no, even with Kendall too, it kind of the same thing in Secession, where he uh, spoilers, minor spoilers for that show, but like he does sort of have that like, oh, I can't, I'm not as effectual as my father or this guy who I'm supposed to look up to, and then literally helps cause fascism to get into American government <laughs> because he's, he's right, it, right. It's a, it's the same it's the same sort mm-hmm. of concept. These people mm-hmm. who feel uh, emasculated in some way, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And and you and well, helping. Uh, yeah, I think Succession shows sometimes the effects can be really dire of that mm-hmm. need that need for um, parental approval. Uh, and in the case of Gator, I would say I'm sure Gator has inflicted much harm and misery, but like it, the damage feels a little bit more contained. Thankfully, in the yeah, Gator case, yeah. very local, uh, very localized to the Scandia area. I, I think yeah. probably so. Yeah. So sort of the access to power that they have is how much equivalent to how much damage they can they can do. Yeah. So. Yeah. Totally. Totally. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. All right, uh, Jesse Earl, let's get to the finale episode of the show. Uh, I'm just going to say the first 20 to 30 minutes of this finale, I thought were pretty weird. Uh, like, <laughs> because here's the thing. This show has been building up to this massive confrontation between Roy Tillman's ranch, a bunch of his people, and multiple branches of the militarized U.S. government, basically. Like, uh, you know, the police and SWAT and the FBI and the military. Like... And it, it feels like it's building up to the mother of all confrontations. And then uh, – and, and here's the thing. Like in general, uh, when I'm watching a television show, I don't need to see tons of action. Like I'm more interested in the drama and the interactions in general. But this is a show that proved it can do both. And so I was thinking to myself, hey, hey, if this show wants to be 30 minutes of just straight action – you know, you have my permission to do that, Fargo season five, because you have earned it through like everything you've done this season. Uh, and I have to say, the actual raid itself is very short and underwhelming. Uh, like, very little actually happens, and what does happen is kind of weird. You know, there's this moment when John Hamm's character murders his father-in-law in a fit of rage, turns the corner, and then. You know, uh, his wife kind of his wife kind of lures him around the corner, which is like, I don't think that's something we saw coming. Did did they set that up in the last episode? I don't think so. I actually think it was. I mean, again, this is where it gets kind of messy. I think that the way it was supposed to play was that she had just ran away and Dot happened to be there at that time, mm. and they weren't working together. It was mm. just she happened to be there too. Yeah, that that was confusing. If so, you know, yeah, it was. It wasn't clearly communicated. Right, right. Yeah. So uh, anyway, and then Dot shoots him in the stomach, and then he kind of gets away before he's eventually apprehended. Um, but yeah, I I just thought, oh, I was really looking forward to like a mass. We we spent three to four episodes trying to go to the fireworks factory, and I thought <laughs> I thought we were going to get to the fireworks factory, and then we got there, and then like one firework went off, and that was kind of it. Now. Uh, that's not to say like I definitely needed to have that for the episode to be good, but it just felt like a, a little bit of a anticlimax compared to what I thought we were leading up to. Jesse Earl, what do you think? I actually thought that that was one of the for me one of the episode's better decisions because for me that confrontation is kind of what Roy wanted. Like he wanted to have this big blaze of glory and and certainly he wanted to be the one that came out on top of that. Like a small man taking on big U.S. government guy. I'm the real badass manly man dude. But even if he had lost that fight, like it still 
ultimately serves to like depict him as this like big, strong, brave dude who took on the government. Like the these ideas, the show is wrestling with these ideas of like the cycles of violence and the the like need to be the strongest, toughest, baddest, and and how that like that desire to like be the rugged individualist authoritarian ultimately uh, just continues replicating harm over and over and over and over again, that even this sort of like fight with the big government idea kind of still fits within his conceptualization of, of like kill or be killed uh, tiger or predator prey. Like the whole idea of showing like your tiger, your predator, like that's, it fits within that conceptualization. And so by disrupting that and having it be just dot getting, um, getting at, getting to shoot him and he just limps away ineffectually um and and doesn't get his blaze of glory um he even goes like ah this the end of this tunnel is my destiny he just gets captured and it's very it's very offhanded <laughs> right, right um i think that that serves the show to like give us that anti-climax um because it kind of fits into the, the show's themes that we'll talk about i think in the final sequence of uh, undercutting those ideas of predator prey the strongest toughest man um, but I could also see that being again. It kind of goes with uh, without spoiling uh, that show, but it goes it goes with the curse where it's like a little. It, I think thematically it fits really well, but it could also leave someone feeling uh, underwhelmed by a finale that swerves uh, from what they we expected it to be. Right. I think um, as you're talking about it, Jesse. First of all, great defense of the show. I think the other thing that comes to mind as we're talking about it is. This show is heavily inspired by not only the Coen Brothers Fargo, but also uh, the other movie I would say draws most from is No Country for Old Men. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the character of Ula Monk, I would say, is a cross between uh, Peter Stormer's character in Fargo and um, Javier Bardem's Anton Chigurh character in No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's several lines in Fargo that are taken directly from No Country for Old Men. You know, my father was a sheriff, his father too. Like that's a line that Roy Spil- uh, Roy Tillman speaks, but now it's obviously been, uh, or Tommy Lee Jones speaks in No Country for Old Men, but it's obviously been twisted in, in the mouth of um, John Hamm's character. And also, um, <laughs> No Country for Old Men, as, far, as with Fargo, is a, th- those are both works that have extremely exquisitely executed genre thrills uh, leading you to think that there's going to be some big confrontation at the end. Uh, spoilers for No Control for Old Men, only for like both things to end without a big blaze of glory as you might expect, right? In, in fact, it is actively something that is deprived from the audience in a way that is quite purposeful. Certainly for No Country for Old Men. In Fargo, it feels like they still kind of got to have their cake and eat it too. There was a lot of shooting and they had this thing where like it, it flashed to black and it was very stylistic. So we got a little bit of it, but yeah, it's it's interesting that like it's a great point, Jesse, that um who John Hamm sees himself as, like how he glorifies and lionizes himself, even in death, is not something that he is able to have fulfilled uh in the in the actual course of events in the show. Uh and I think that is that is quite purposeful. So anyway, I just want to be clear. I'm not saying that's a mark against the show that it didn't have a big action scene. Um, it just felt to me like that's where the show was leading up to. And also the show had awesome action scenes prior to that point. Um, well, I mean, so. that's always the danger of stuff like that, where it's like you you build up and then you swerve. And, and if you do that, it needs to be done with, I think, very real intentions. 
um, which I think the show definitely yeah, had. Um, and so I think it works for me, but I, it, it does run the risk of disappointing people who were expecting the thing that you said, like, hey, this is what we want and and or this is what we're going to give you and you're not giving them that. So we got to talk briefly about the death of Wit Farr, uh, the state trooper character who gets in a confrontation with John Hamm's character uh, is murdered uh, by John Hamm's character. Uh, and I'm curious what you thought about this. I, you know, I, I will say my initial reaction was I was very disappointed because Whitfar was a good person, like noble character. He's also um, one of the show, show's few characters of color. Uh, and I think we've seen many TV shows and films where characters of color die to motivate white people. And it would have been nice if the show did something a little bit different than that. I have since read interviews with uh, or seen interviews where the character uh, who uh, the actor who plays him talks about how Lamorne Morris, I believe, uh, plays Whitfar. And talks about how, like, hey, um, it's not that deep. Like, you know, maybe five, five times out of ten, uh, Whitfar would have won that confrontation. And, like, the other five times, he wouldn't have, you know. Uh, but I don't know. It it felt – that was the only character who, in my opinion, didn't get what they deserved at the end of this finale. Or one of two characters, maybe, that didn't get what they deserved at the end of this finale. So, um, yeah, Jesse Earl, what would you think of how Whitfar's storyline ended in this episode? I, I completely agree with you. I found it deeply disappointing uh, to to kill him off, especially when his story has been like to try and rescue Dot this whole season, which like there is often uh, like storylines of like people of color, uh, especially black men being like there to like save the white woman sort of thing and, and being utilized in that way. Uh, and then just to like kill him off, even in a way that it's not even like him defending her it's just sort of like in this offhand way off to the side that isn't even necessary it adds this it 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 feels like it's just done to add this sense of tragedy right of like him still causing violence to this guy who didn't need to die in last moment it just feels it feels unnecessary um and and again yeah just like the defense of the actor and i can and you know he's an actor and i understand he wants to defend the thing he's in but you know you know, uh, Noah Hawley wrote it. Like he chose who was going to win and, and right. die in that scene. So it's like, eh. Um, well, he, like maybe he's defense. trying to communicate something about the chaos of you know the world, and sometimes the good guy dies, right? In, yeah, in, in the I, world, you I, know. I, yeah, and that's and true. I get that, true. and that fit, and that fits Fargo's sort of sometimes like not everyone who gets what they want gets what they deserve survives that sort of thing. It fits that kind of tale, but I I don't know to do that with the one of the few characters of color and to do it so uh seemingly casually it right. it felt disappointing. Yeah. I I feel the same way. Didn't didn't love how Whitfar's character ended, you know, cuz he was like the consistently good person throughout the mm. whole, probably the best mm. human being in the whole show, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um the one character who was like not corrupted by anything, looking out for the hostage at the end, you know, he's just like the 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 best person and then he died. Obviously the the show's trying to say something with that, but you know. Not something we were particularly interested in hearing. Anyway, <laughs> uh, want to give a shout out to Gator's ending with Dot, and you know he embraces her, and uh, she says she she promises to come bring him cookies, and you know, he he kind of regresses into like a very childlike state, uh, and the whole opening of the episode too, where he's stumbling around and trying to find everything, and the camera work tilting around and making like mirroring his disorientation, all just really well done. I thought. Um, uh, yeah, Gator's storyline just was a was a home run for me, I thought. Just, like, really well handled overall. So, 
Um, anything else before we get to the time jump? Uh, no, I, I just echo your thoughts on Gator. I think uh, I think it, it kind of points what I was saying before. It's like we should have empathy for him, but not let him get away with this harm. Because it would have been easy for the show to be like, oh, he didn't do anything. He's okay. Let him let him get away. But it's like, no, he's going to be held responsible. But uh, but still, there's there's empathy for why he was the way he was. All right. So then nothing happens for one year. <laughs> nothing of significance happens for an entire year. Uh, and we get a one year later text on the screen. Uh, Dot and Indira visit Whitfar's grave on the anniversary of his death, where we learned that he had a bunch of sisters that we never met. Uh, so that makes it even more sad in some ways, even though we never met mm-hmm. those characters, whatever. Uh, then Lorraine visits Roy in prison and they have a final confrontation. You know, Roy's trying to put on a, a good face, but Lorraine uh, has not only bought the judge, but she's also bought all the prisoners and is going to make Roy's life a living hell. And I guess, uh, first of all, that's a very proper ending for Roy. So Roy also gets what he deserves. Love that. Uh, the only thing that I was curious about with this whole Lorraine storyline is Lorraine stays on top. Like nothing basically happens to Lorraine. She's completely fine. And that's uh, fine with me because that's pro- that was what would happen in real life, right? Uh, but Indira, I, I kind of am curious like what, what we're to make of Indira because she ends up working for Lorraine. And I, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to tell you right now, Jesse, I'm guessing that's a hard job, you know? Um, oh, yeah. And so, <laughs> so, so Indira has kind of traded in part of her soul for money, but that's just never really addressed at all. And so I was a little bit disappointed we didn't get some more sense of what Indira was thinking towards the end there. Um, but as for Lorraine and Roy, great ending, no complaints. What are your thoughts? I actually have a more conflicted view on this. Season yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there's a, there's a lot of stuff happening in it that I like, and a lot of it that I don't like. So the stuff with Roy, I love his statement about like, yeah, the prison's actually how yeah. the way the world should work. Because like the show, the show has been very critical of like the institutions and systems that sort of create these hierarchical dynamics. Um, and so Roy sort of being like, oh, yeah, the prison system where we shove a lot of like people of color into and we like put people against each other, dehumanize people this whole time. Like, of course, he views that like hierarchy as as something that works for for his very authoritarian view of of the world. So like perfect, perfect decision. And also the fact that he's wearing like I think he has like a yeah, swastika a, on his neck. And little, point, little, yeah. I don't think it's a swastika, but it was a neck tattoo. for. It might yeah. have been a swastika. It was a neck tattoo for sure. It was very sure. evocative yeah. of it, yeah. if it wasn't yeah. it for sure. So probably a white supremacist group yeah. symbol or something like that yeah. um, that he probably joined while in there. Um, but then, but then, yeah, with, with Linda, I... I wish the show, because the show, especially in earlier season, earlier in the season, was very critical of her as a capitalist um, and and seemed very hyper aware of like stuff where she even gives like a speech about debt and how she controls people through debt. Uh, Lorraine, um, I think you're referring to, not Linda. Lorraine. Sorry, what did yeah. I say? I, I, yeah, yeah, I meant Lorraine, uh, not Linda. Um, controls people through debt um, and controls people through through capital. And then even is the show is even aware even more so of like she has a whole speech about how the police are there as an enforcement of both state and private property power. That is what capitalism is based on. She has that whole thing there. It's like, you you are there to hurt the the, the little people. You are there to enact our will to uh, Indira earlier in the season. Um, and, so, uh, and so to have this scene where it's sort of seen as triumphant that she is now going to like punish Roy with violence and using her 
capitalist means to like influence that yeah feels like it runs against the the series point that it's going to make in the very next scene which right. is restorative and breaking this idea of like debt owes debt um and and i think and, and, and the reason I dislike it is not because it's not true to who her character is. I think it's mm-hmm. very true to her character. Yeah. It's just the show presents it uncritically as almost like, yeah, now Roy's going to get it. Yes. Don't you feel some sense of like, right. isn't that great? And I wish there'd been like a sense of like, this is what's going to happen to him. And isn't that a little bit scary or or dark? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sort of presents it as like this triumphant, like rah, rah, she wins moment. And it kind of leans into this like girl boss feminist thing that the show also kind of has where like she is part of saving Dot and they have this like moment of connection where like, yeah, we understand each other. And it sort of ends on this uncritical look at all these things that the show is very clearly aware of, of uh, Lorraine's place within this, you know, framework of capitalism, statehood and, and all that stuff and debt. Um and it, it doesn't really address it. So like, and it just, it literally runs counter the emotion that it's trying to get in us of like enjoying the reveling in Roy's punishment um, seems to run counter directly to the, um, the very next scene. And then uh, uh, with Adira, uh, the, uh, again, too, it remains uncritical of the police in that as well. Like, and we also supposed to get like the, the American government comes in and captures Roy and pun it. Like, like all of that stuff is like the show is aware of how these systems work. And then it sort of ends on a big, like, we're not going to really criticize it at the end, which feels uh, like a, a very much drop ball that, that disappointed me. Yeah. I don't know if, I think you're probably right, Jesse. You know, like I, I want to try and push back and say, like, I don't know if uncritically is correct there. Like, maybe it leaves it up for you to decide. But I agree with you that based off of the final scene, the reaction we as the audience should have to everything Lorraine does is horror. Like, mm-hmm. wow, I can't believe she's manipulating the system to her ends in this way. And that's the problem is the show. I think the show's hatred of the Roy Tillman character is stronger than its belief in the overwhelming power of love. You know what I'm saying? You know, like, yeah, like yeah. It, it's like the Roy T- Tillman character is so reprehensible that literally anything that is used to defeat that character and punish that character, make that character suffer is justified. Yeah. Um, and that is undercut, you know, by what happens in the next, next scene where, you know, the, the, the Ula Munk character's plotline gets resolved. Um, because I, I think you're right that there is at least a part of that scene with Lorraine where the creators of the show want us to revel in Roy's suffering. Yeah, like, I don't know if it's 100% that. Like, maybe a part of us can be like, wow, Lorraine's really abusing the system and that's bad. But I think you're right. The way it's shot, the way, like, Lorraine triumphantly walks out of it and everything, you know, like, I do think you're right that, like, that's probably what they wanted us to take away from that scene. And that is very conflicting with what happens in the final final scene of the episode so yeah uh, and 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 to defend myself a little bit and and kind of just bouncing off of what you just said like it's not that i don't think roy should be held shouldn't be held accountable and that we shouldn't feel some sense of satisfaction in that but it's just it's the vindictiveness that i think that is centralized in that scene that we're supposed to empathize with that i think is what what cuts across i think what the show is ultimately trying to say right like I mean, there is a moment. There is a moment when Roy looks at the cigarettes she's given him, and kind of realizes like, he's fucked. 
And, and you know, so there is that kind of darkness to it. It's not like there's none of that. But I do agree that my sense from the scene was Lorraine has triumphed and, and we're supposed to celebrate that triumph in some way. Uh, and that's not great. For, it like doesn't fit in really with anything the rest of the show has been doing. So mm-hmm. final scene. Uh, <laughs> uh, Monk has been biding his time for a year <laughs> and he shows up like, Randomly, coincidentally, on the same week where Lorraine, uh, you know, Whitfar is at one year anniversary and also when Lorraine confronts John Hamm and says there is a debt yet to be paid. You know, um, Monk has, by the way, his name is Ula Monk. Ula, if I recall correctly, is a name of one of the nihilists in The Big Lebowski and also this character in Fargo is also a nihilist. So definitely drawing from the entire uh, Coen Brothers oeuvre. Uh, and I am, uh, and he says like, I, I, you know, a debt has, has still has, has to be paid. Uh, Jesse, any thoughts of what that debt was in your opinion? Like, what was he asking for? Any, any guesses as to what that was? Well, it sounds like the pound of flesh was taken, and I think either like the guy that worked for him died in like the first episode, yeah. or, or his like, ear, he, his ear was injured, you yeah, know, burned, some, some yeah. along those yeah. lines. Just like the, the damage was done to me, so I need to inflict it upon you in some way. Again, going into that like cycle of violence, vindictiveness, getting back, getting back what you're owed theme that the show has is, is re- been wrestling with all season. Yeah, um, so he wanted to injure her in some way or kill her, right? Injure or kill her probably mm-hmm. is kind of or, or Or hurt her, and this kind of goes with injure, but like hurt her family as well yeah. or something like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Jesse Earl, it turns out the real Fargo was love. Um, <laughs> was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> the, the real Fargo was love. And, uh, you know, I, I think this is best summed up by uh, a friend of mine, Brendan, who DM'd me after the Fargo uh, season finale and wrote... I mostly love the finale, but I especially love the idea of what if you gave Welsh Anton Chigurh orange pop and made him bake muffins. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love it. So much. I think the show the show took it like a, a little bit far, you know, where it, it's very funny Monk's communication style juxtaposed with Dot's family. You know, he's like, uh, uh, you know. The debt must be paid. Like a man does not release a tiger for no reason. And you know, Dot's husband is like, you know, we saw a tiger at the zoo the other day. You know, like that's very funny. And I think the show almost like uh, overplays it a little bit. You know, gets like you know draws that out a, a little bit too far. But um, overall, I think it's highly amusing. And throughout the course of this time period, um, Dot is trying to convince Ula to not hurt them. <laughs> Uh, and she manages to succeed uh, by feed, you know helping him make Bisquick and feeding it to him. On that note, by the way, I, I do want to mention uh, the episode title of the final finale is Bisquick without the C, right? Bisquick, the product, has a C in it, uh, mm. but Bisquick in the show, no C. Interesting, interesting. If you go to Reddit... Uh, the Fargo subreddit uh, user named I'm a Max writes the following: uh, Bisquick without a without C. Trigger warning. Over analysis of trivial details. Uh, many notable theory crafters on the subreddit were puzzling over why the finale's title is spelt this particular way. For those unaware, the actual product's name is Bisquick with a C. 
In reality, the reason for the difference is either a typo ignorance or some nebulous licensing reason. But that's not so fun, so I present my interpretation. When asked by Wayne about his origin, Monk says he's from across the sea. Sea sounds like sea, and you know where I'm going with this. The absence of sea or sea, S-E-A, represents removal of the spiritual barrier between the characters, and the title refers to the cooking supply's supernatural ability to facilitate this. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I, I actually have a different, hearing you say that, I actually have a different uh, interpretation, over-analysis of it that was probably not intended. If I may present mine, uh, is it, it's removing the because the show is ultimately being very critical of capitalism and capitalism's influence on this sort of like we owe a debt to people because this whole like theme of debt comes up in this sequence of like debt that we owe people and like uh lorraine is a debt collector and we saw that connect into it uh earlier on um like these themes of debts that are owed to people um that give people who have the debt power over you and uh, capitalism was in within that. So removing the sea means it's it's removing the the product nature of it. How we see each other as dehumanized things to to just enact our will upon. That's my overall analysis. So the sea the sea that's gone stands for capitalism. In other yes. words, wow. Yes. But I, I also have a theory, too, about the, the Bisquick as well that I think is actually more intentional. I didn't think on. I could hear a theory that was more of a stretch than the Reddit one I read, but you, <laughs> you have delivered. All right. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> All, right. All right. What else? What's your other theory? Well, uh, just I guess I'll just talk about the scene as a whole and why I really, really, really adore it to death like i adore this whole final sequence because of all the things that it is bringing up with um mook's character um he he references like he, we learned he actually is the supernatural being for that yes, we saw he is on. a 500 year old supernatural creature <laughs> it's confirmed right here. it's confirmed <laughs> i mean if we take him at his word you know i i asked my wife do you think he's speaking metaphorically in that and she's like no he's absolutely mm-hmm. a supernatural creature who's been around for 500 years so. and and this gets into and again this is going to be over analysis but i actually will argue that i think this is the very much intention of this is like he's saying he's he came over as a slave and people died and were killed kind of connecting to the like a practice of like slavery and the 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 colonialism of the era he even references that he like became part of the indigenous tribes which like there's probably something I, I would like to hear criticism from indigenous folks about like this guy becoming one with the indigenous people and becoming that there's a criticism there to be made that's not mine to make but um but i think the point of that is to say like he is this force of this person um who uh, it, it like was part of these people that were here before um, in a supernatural way that were like before this idea of private property and ownership and controlling others and, and how he was traumatized through that process of colonialization with the coming of the musket and violence as he literally references into becoming part of this idea of debt and debt owed and how it harms those who are, who are, um, uh, who are in the lower class seen as usable and how he literally ate the debt of the rich people. And that caused him to become this person who was like, I owe debts to people. I owe debts to others. And he even references Catholicism and the idea of like Catholicism being used to do that colonialization. Cause the show makes numerous references to God in both this scene and other ones where like Roy Tillman references like the Lord, I am the Lord's man. Like I am enacting his will. Um, and, and the sort of like fact that the debt collecting was done again at like a religious ceremony as we saw earlier. And then earlier in the scene, like they do the Lord's prayer 
Um, and so there's references to the religious aspect of it. And the thing that um, Dot does to sort of disrupt this whole idea of like, you don't have to buy into that system anymore. You don't have to buy into believing that there's debt owes to people. We can just forgive and be kind and, and care about each other. Disrupting this whole idea of breaking down that sort of those lines of, of capitalism, state owned, like property, colonialism, breaking it all down in that one scene. And she does so by offering him bread a bread of forgiveness at her table, which is clearly meant to like, I think meant to reference like the whole, like Jesus is like bread. My, my body is my bread and um, pound of flesh. You can get to references like, like that, that giving of the bread is supposed to give forgiveness and like rooting itself in the actual views of Catholicism that like move beyond the colonial aspect of it and the power aspect of it, just like finding uh, caring in, like in in community and care and and the common people um and just sort of like bringing it back to that root and so i think that that bread is sort of reference that um and so this whole scene is i think just a really good foundational like it, it by using him as a supernatural being it's sort of getting to the core essence of what i think the show is trying to say is that vindictiveness owing debts controlling people through control of money property that sort of thing is is the problem and how we break through that is just seeing each other as human beings and caring for each other and forgiving each other. Um, and I, and I, I think ending on that note, I think is beautiful. And I think, I, I think you said it earlier during our spoiler free section is like, if this is the final note that like this show ends on, like there's no other season. I think that this is a really perfect end to everything, uh, both Fargo, the show and Fargo, the movie, we're we're mm. trying to get at with a lot of their themes. Like I could see more being done, but I feel like this is just a great encapsulation of of a way to kind of give a hopeful view on a series that has overall seemed very nihilistic. Mm. Beautifully said, as usual, Jesse. Uh, yeah, there is something very biblical about the way we talk about debt. Debt is forgiven or honored, or you know, uh, it must be paid. And uh, I think that the thing I really appreciated about this season of television is it is a repudiation. You know, I grew up as a Christian uh, and I have since uh, I'm, I've since left the faith, but I, you know, I'm, I'm deeply familiar with the culture and the beliefs and the tenets and everything. Um, and one of the most upsetting things to witness over the course of the last decade is, you know, if I hadn't left it, 10 years ago, I would have left it eight years ago because you know, like, <laughs> yeah. one of the things that's been most upsetting to witness is how the evangelical church has traded in their soul for power. Um, they have embraced Donald Trump, who is – I'm just going to put it out there – one of the least biblical uh, leaders I think this country has ever seen. And it, it, it's almost like, oh, like the, the veneer of um, – the, the veneer of what they were trying to accomplish has faded away, and now all that's left is this lust for power because he's not an honorable person and um, doesn't even know how to give lip service to the Bible correctly like other people who have been not honorable in the past. And so um, it was a really kind of glass-shattering moment for me and, and the church. And what we have seen this season is – uh, and with this ending is two visions of what um, Christian, you know, the, the Christian ideals can be. We have on the one hand, Roy Tillman, 
who profess like knows the Bible back and forth, professes love for God, twists the words of the Bible to use towards his end, uses the Bible and the word as a cudgel um, with which to enact his will. And then we have, on the other hand, Dot, who just wants a loving suburban life. Uh, and, and, you know, in her confrontation with Ula Munk to, uh, to love him, <laughs> you know, to, to share love with him and to say, Hey, the suffering that you have endured does not need to continue, uh, because we can break the style, the cycle of trauma and violence, um, through, through love, through an act of love or through acts of love. Um, and in that there's two visions of how, Religion, God's specifically Christianity, can be lived out in the world today, and we see it play out in those ways um, today. And uh, and I think the show takes a really strong position on which vision is more desirable and actually more in line with the Word of God. Um, yeah, it's the less flashy, more forgiving, uh, more loving one, uh, and it's it often doesn't look like what you would think it looks like. Um, yeah. In fact, it's often very hidden, you know, like no one knows that Ula is at this house and enjoying this meal with his family. Um, it's an act of kindness that no one's going to really know about. Uh, and that that is often what true generosity and true Christian love is. So, you know, I, I, I found a lot to resonate with as somebody who has been really dismayed by the evangelical church's embrace of Donald Trump, which, by the way, we just saw this week with Iowa and the caucuses mm-hmm. and the huge evangelical uh, population in Iowa. And, like, they're largely responsible for his victory there. And so uh, it's it's definitely highly, highly relevant, in my opinion. So that's that was yeah. my take on it. Go ahead. No, no. Just to, just to add one little coda on what you're saying, too, is, like, I have someone also grew up uh, – uh, Catholic as well, Roman Catholic on my mom's side, like literally did the rosary. My my family did the rosary uh, every week or every day, I should say. Um, and I'm also someone who is agnostic now in my life um, and have been for a very long time. But uh, so just echoing that, I, I feel that as well. And then also too, just you made me think about how this echoes this sequence and even kind of referenced a little bit with uh, Ula sort of talking about like the practice of debt and eating and all that jazz, uh, going back to like the Reformation and Martin Luther like nailing the theses on the um, uh, on the door of the church because the whole reason that happened was because the Catholic Church was like saying you can get into heaven by paying you pay money yeah and yeah. you can get into the you can get into church you pay off your debts and give us more money give us more power and thereby you can get into the the kingdom of God or whatever um, and and that sort of Martin Luther pushing back against that whole idea that because it was ultimately just there to make money for the church yeah the indulgences um, right and exactly. and, I, and what this season has asked is like what is the net effect of that like who who suffers in that situation what is the cost to society of continuing to subjugate people via debt in that way mm-hmm. um, and they're gonna do it with a bunch of shooting and killing you know which is like obviously <laughs> like very enjoyable to watch but I think it has it's it's grasping for something deeper and I think largely it it re, it you know is able to achieve that grasp so mm-hmm. any other thoughts on the season five finale of Fargo Jesse Earl no, I, like I said, I mean, clearly there's a lot here to to talk about and, and a lot of deep stuff being said. Like I said, I think there's small things here and there that I, I wish could have been a bit better, like the the treatment of the um, the one officer, um, as well as like Lorraine's ending. But but on the whole, I think this is a really powerful and strong ending 
of uh of this series of the season and potentially this series um that i really loved so yeah and the final shot ending with you know ula like kind of the first time we see that character smile in the whole movie i think uh or the whole series you know is is just delightful and a wonderful note to end um the show on so yeah i had a great time i was very moved very moved by the ending and of course they use you know they made their own little um version of the Fargo theme song. I don't know if you know this, uh, for yeah. Fargo season one, like they did a variation of Carter Burwell's score from the original Fargo, but multiple times during season five, they actually used the actual theme from the Fargo movie. And the ending was one of those times. And it's a very beautiful haunting score. Um, and I think they used it to great effect. So yeah, I loved it. It was a great season of television. Thank you so much for talking about it with me, Jesse Earl. You want to let people know they can find more of your work on the internet? Yeah, uh, you can find me at Jesse Gender on YouTube. Just look up Jesse Gender, you'll find me. Uh, I've been having a few different videos that come out there. I do video essays on science fiction, pop culture, and a lot of the political themes. So if you like basically the conversation we had here, I do more of that in video essay format on my channel. I just recently did uh, a video essay talking about the uh, capitalist realism of uh, a lot of science fiction, such as uh, For All Mankind, um, and how that ties into like Elon Musk and the corporatization of space with SpaceX, and, and talking uh, all about that with the wonderful uh, astrophysicist Dr. Aaron McDonald, who is my close friend and uh, the science advisor for the Star Trek franchise. Uh, so check out that uh, if, if that if you want a similar conversation. Um, and then I'm also at Jesse Gender After Dark, which is another YouTube channel I have where I do reviews of different shows in sort of a more bite-sized format. Um, so that's there for you. And then I'm on all the social medias, mainly Blue Sky and the artist formerly known as Twitter. And I am also on Nebula, which is the streaming service created by a bunch of YouTubers and, uh, to put our videos outside of the YouTube algorithm. And it is also funding my upcoming science fiction film called Identities, which stars the wonderful John Delancey of Star Trek, uh, Abigail Thorne of Philosophy Tube on YouTube, um, and numerous other wonderful folks. So check that out when it releases. It's looking like in the uh, first half of this year, though, towards the end of the first half of this year. So check that out. Wonderful. And I do want to give a shout out to uh, the new Decoding TV weekly format. Be sure to check that out. Decoding TV is becoming basically a weekly show. We'll still do this week in streaming on occasion, but it's mostly going to be the weekly show. Uh, and so I hope people will tune into that. We're covering True Detective, Night Country, Echo. We'll probably be covering Masters of the Air. There's a bunch of stuff coming out in February and March. So stay tuned uh, and enjoy all the stuff on the channel. Until next week, we'll see you later. Goodbye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.